you know, my uh, ex-wife and I, who I'm very close with today, um, we were actually on the phone. She says, are you going to talk about me on the podcast? And I said, yeah, because she's still one of my closest friends. And uh, just because, uh, you know, we didn't stay married forever and ever doesn't mean that it was a failure. Uh, I think we're doing really well right now. Um, we actually took a family trip to Israel with her and her parents and my, my wife and my dad and my, my kids. And it was it was amazing. And you know, we hope to do something like that again. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 227. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful interview with John. John actually just released a brand new book called I Am My Beloveds. He talks more about the book in the interview, and you can also find links to the book in uh, the podcast show notes. But we have a wonderful conversation with him about his journey exploring non-monogamy. Yeah, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me was he he talks about transitioning out of his his first marriage and how he kept that relationship alive, like him and his family, his, his his new wife and his former wife and her family, like they've traveled the world together and they go on trips and they do amazing things together. And I think there's just a lot of lessons to be found in there on top of all of the other amazing things that John talks about. So thank you to John for coming on and sharing your story and for writing the book and for everything you're doing out there. So thank you, John. Before we jump into the interview, we do have a couple of quick announcements per usual. First up, a humongous thank you to our entire Patreon community. It continues to grow, and we're so grateful for each and every one of you. If you're out there looking for like-minded people, we'd encourage you to check out our Patreon community. We have ongoing MeWe chats. We have monthly Q&As, men's and women's groups, and it's just an incredible, supportive group of people. So go check that out. And while you're on our website, which is normalizingnonmonogamy.com, <laughs> all you have to do to find that is click on the Patreon tab. Good point. But while you're there, you can also click on the Community Events tab, and you'll find information about our upcoming in-person events in California and New Orleans, as well as our virtual events, which uh, right now we've got a virtual meet and greet coming up on April 23rd, and we're working on putting together another virtual trivia event because the last one was super awesome. And we're super excited about that. That will be announced very soon. Yes. Next week. Yes. And while you're on our website, a reminder to please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to come on the show, if you have any feedback for us, we would love to hear it. You can send us an email, send us a voicemail. It's all right there. And we will get back to you. We promise. Quickly. Quickly. (laughs) Most likely pretty quickly. Sometimes within a few days. Depends on what the days are looking like. Exactly. The last thing we wanted to tell you that you can do while you're on our website is head over to the resources tab and you will find links to all of the things that Emma and I use to help make our lives better. One of them is stdcheck.com. It is... It is... Emma's so excited. It is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. We have used this service for a number of years. We absolutely love it. We are an affiliate partner of theirs. So using this link does help support the show financially. And it also saves you $10, making the cost of a 10 panel test about $130. You get the test. It's super fast. It's super easy. uh, And you get your results texted to you in your online portal within about 24 to 48 hours. So If you're out there getting ready to meet people, we highly recommend using stdcheck.com to know your status and be a better informed partner. Yes. Let's go now talk to John. Let's go. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have you here today. And you reached out to us a few, a little while ago, and it took us a little bit to get you on the calendar, but we appreciate your patience and we're excited to hear all about your story. So for the listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. My name is John Papernick, uh, and I am a novelist living uh, just outside of Boston. You know, I, I identify I identify primarily as a novelist. That's like the top primary uh, identifier as a writer. You know, I kind of always look at everything in my life through that lens. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Well, and and we're going to definitely talk about your book because your book has some non-monogamous themes running through it um, that I would assume parallel some things in life. So do you maybe... T- uh, maybe I want to start by talking about sort of what, what your relationship sort of dynamic looks like today, and then we can go back in time and, and find out how we got here, how we Absolutely. got onto a podcast about non-monogamy together. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm married um, to my second wife, and we're right now basically closed, but we've had lots and lots of uh, talk about you know meeting other couples, and we've, we've tried out field, and we've had a few meetings with people where we've gotten along with them, but didn't get to the next stage where we actually got to um, get to know them a little bit better. Um, we did meet this really wonderful couple right at the beginning of COVID, and uh, you know we were already kind of getting in the planning stages. We were like texting each other back and forth, and you know it really felt like it was going to happen. We really liked each other. And then COVID hit, and she was a doctor who happened to be working at a COVID hospital. And uh, at that point, I, I mean, the, all my wife and they were willing to move forward. But I'll admit, I was like, I can't. I'm just too afraid with where COVID is because this is, you know, March of 2020, which is very different than where we are today in 2022. So, uh, yes. if anyone's to take the blame, it's for me. But I'm, I'm going to blame it on COVID. Um, you know, so we've been trying to meet other people and it it can be hard, you know, you kind of start texting somebody and then they kind of disappear. Um, but, uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, just kind of trying to find opportunities to meet other couples, um, because I think that would work better from, from my perspective. Um, something I talk about in, in my novel is, is kind of attachment theory and how each of these characters kind of identify with a certain attachment theory. And my main character is kind of anxiously attached. So he, which is something that reflects my own experience, which definitely comes from my upbringing. Um, Whereas my wife has a little bit more of a secure attachment style. So she might be a little bit more comfortable. So it's been work. It's been an evolution. And, um, you know, our our relationship is is always evolving. So even though we have been closed for the last number of years, the conversation has been ongoing as to how and where we might open it up and and have other experiences and meet other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and how did those conversations initially come up, like to start thinking about opening your relationship? They just come up. We're sitting on the couch watching Anderson Cooper and, you know, (laughs) my, my wife's on field. She's like, you know. You know, I, I'd be interested in, in being uh, open at some point. Uh, I know that you're a little bit less there, but, you know, certainly, you know, how about this couple? And we kind of, you know, look at their profile and, you know, if they reach out, uh, respond back to us, we have a, a dialogue. Um, so, you know, it, we have a pretty f- open uh, dialogue. We don't need to have any kind of special occasion to talk about this. It's right. just kind of part of the, you know, my, also my my wife and I both listen to uh, the Savage Love cast a lot. So oftentimes mm-hmm. we'll kind of, pull up things that we'd heard that week and kind of talk about that. And that often leads to um, discussions that we have about where a relationship is, where it's going. Also, sure. uh, mm-hmm. Esther Perel has some really good advice and the yeah. kind of idea that you always need to kind of reevaluate and kind of, um, you know, uh, re-up every so often your relationship. And so yeah. I think we're yeah. very much in, in that kind of uh, realm. Yeah. Right. But even the like, to, to casually be like, well, we're sitting on the couch watching Anderson Cooper and my wife's on field. Like, that's a pretty unique paradigm for a lot of people to even consider. So they, at what point in your relationship with your wife did, did non-monogamy come up? Like, how did you two start? So how did you get to the point where it's totally cool to be swiping through field on your phones during the evening news? That's that's a good question. Um, so uh, <laughs> my wife and I both met when we were open. We were both at the end of our first marriage. Uh, we were each married. We ha- each had and have two children. And, um, you know, my uh, ex-wife and I, who I'm very close with today, um, we were actually on the phone. She says, are you going to talk about me on the podcast? And I said, yeah, because she's still one of my closest friends. And uh, just because, uh, you know, we didn't stay married forever and ever doesn't mean that it was a failure. Uh, I think we're doing mm-hmm. really well right now. Um, we actually took a family trip to Israel with her and her parents and my wife, my wife and my dad and my, my kids. And it was, it was amazing. And, you know, we hope to do something like that again. So wow. we were, you know, our, our marriage was kind of struggling after about 10 years uh, together. And uh, my wife had suggested something about going open and, uh, I didn't really know if she was serious at that time, but I, in retrospect, I realized that was the conversation. <laughs> there was some lack of, not quite lack of communication, but lack of clarity. I think I was a little bit timid to really kind of push back and see what that meant. So I didn't really dive in head first for a while. 
until one of my friends is like, you know, you should go on like, okay, Cupid and meet people there. So I put together a profile and, you know, I started meeting people and, uh, you know, going out and I, I met a lot of wonderful people and, you know, had a couple like, you know, relationships that lasted a few months, four or five months, uh, here and there. And, you know, uh, it was, it was just a, a really interesting time in my life. It was like a second chance to kind of really kind of experience people with a greater level of maturity than I would have had in my twenties. Sure. Mm -hmm. And was that literally the only conversation the two of you had about it was like, she brought it up and then like a couple of months. I don't know, maybe in my mind's eye it it does, but I think we, we'd had other conversations because again, me and my ex-wife, we, we have a very open way of talking, Mm -hmm. but one thing that we never did very well together was talk about sex together and what we wanted from each other. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in the context of our marriage, I was pretty vanilla. I really couldn't, couldn't kind of, um, even the concept concept of wanting something different was a little bit almost alien to me. You know, I kind of grew up pretty shy, a nice Jewish boy in the suburbs of Toronto. And, uh, you know, I had a girlfriend in high school, but, you know, it was just a, a nice, safe relationship, exactly what I needed at that time. And through my 20s, I bumbled around like most of us do. I don't mean bumbled around because that seems, <laughs> you know, suggests I was on Bumble, which I wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we kind of struggled you know we had relationships mm-hmm. here and there and, and they ended and other ones came up but you know i didn't really ever think about having specific sexual interests I kind of thought oh sex is pretty good who needs to add anything to that so when i kind of had a second chance second kick at the can in my 40s i was like oh wow yeah there's all kinds of things that are really cool and interesting that i am interested in but i never really allowed myself to ask those questions of myself before so yeah mm-hmm. it was it was a really good experience to get that second kick at the can so, so yeah. me, me and my um, my current wife, we we met by chance actually. Um, I I've been going out with a woman for about five months, who uh, knew I was married, uh, wasn't particularly interested in 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 me being uh, open, but she was interested in pursuing a relationship to see what would happen. And after about five months, she's like, "I, I just can't. You know, you're married. I want to have a, I want to start building a life." So she broke up with me. And less than a week later, I was on OK Cupid on a like Saturday morning. Remember very clearly sitting next to my bed on the floor, leaning back against the the dresser, and and I saw the profile of of my wife, my current wife, and I was like, oh boy, I better write to her right now. I felt this urgency to write to her right at that moment. We were a ninety nine percent match, and uh, wow, okay, this is a bit of a lie. We were a ninety seven percent match, but then we answered some more questions, and then we became ninety nine. <laughs> I wrote like a full essay to her, like ans- uh, referring to things in her in her uh, bio and I used proper grammar because uh, I'm a writer and uh, you know, didn't say anything vulgar or inappropriate. And I hoped that she wrote back and she did within an hour. And we ended up meeting up, uh, you know, about a week later after a snowstorm and, and the rest is history. But the interesting thing is she was going through a divorce at the time and was uh, just on the verge of going off of OK Cupid. She thought it's not good to have this kind of clutter in her life while this is going on. So she was just, cleaning basically cleaning out her inbox one last time and she saw my profile and we connected so if i'd waited a day or an hour we would have missed it so that's one of those really interesting kind of sliding doors examples you take one door your life goes this way you take another door and your life goes in that direction so that that was a real clear moment when i realized i could have easily missed this connection here yeah. yeah. Seize the moment, right? Right. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing uh, story there. Yeah, and- so my advice is do not wait. Do not right. Right. If you feel something, act on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I have you growing up or in your teens and twenties. Were you aware of non-monogamy that open relationships like that 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 was an option? No, I don't think I. No, I. I don't want to say I don't think I was. I definitely wasn't um, because when I was, I think twenty-one or twenty-two, I had a girlfriend. But then a woman who I'd been in love with for two years made her finally made her interest known. So I was like, okay. So I ended up having two girlfriends for a while. One of them knew, the other one didn't. So I guess I was cheating, but I was also a 21-year-old immature person. So, um, But eventually I felt guilty and told the, the girlfriend who didn't know, and we broke up. And I never, it never crossed my mind to say, hey, can we find a way to work this out? You, I care about you. You care about me. Can we still make this work? You can see other, because, you know, right after that, she went and ended up dating a whole bunch of people one after the other. And I'm like, well, we could have stayed together maybe. And she could have still done that, but it wasn't part of my paradigm. I didn't really know that such a thing was a thing at that point. So, um, yeah, I very clearly was not aware of that. Yeah. And, and when your wife broached the subject with you, 
Well, the ex-wife first. The ex. Well, yeah, your first wife. She was my wife at the, the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. When she broached the subject with you, like, how did that go? Because if this is sort of coming, like, this is new. This is a new model for you, and I can see that also being like. I mean, we, we get emails from people all the time, like, hey, my partner brought this up or I brought this up. And it just totally destabilizes everything because you're like, well, hey, I thought, you know, we took those vows 10 years ago and we're supposed to be the one and only forever and ever. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, you want to open our relationship? Like, that's a big shift. Yeah, it, it can be destabilizing. Uh, at that point in our marriage, our um, sex life was pretty dormant. So, um, you know, I felt a little bit more okay about that. I think a lot of guys, and I was probably one of them, uh, well, I had some fear for sure. It's like that safety net is yanked away, but also the possibility is like, oh, wow, I can, I could be with other women. But of course it's, it's challenging, uh, especially when you're a, you know, a, a married father of two in your forties, you know, uh, no matter what kind of game you bring to the table. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just took me a while for it to really kind of sink in almost as if I didn't believe she'd said it, but you know, as we kind of kept talking, it became clear that she was seeing somebody else. And, and uh, I was like, all right, it is happening. But I still felt guilty going online. It took a while. Like first I tried to just kind of meet people organically. So it took maybe a year and a half or more till I finally had the courage to kind of go on the apps and, and, and meet people. So how yeah. did, how did meeting people organically go? Cause I, uh, I feel like a lot of people <laughs> like uh, romanticize that in their head. And then when it comes into fruition, it's not, not always what we think it might be. No, it's hard. I did meet somebody organically at a, at a, at a conference, which seems to be a way that all, all people seem to meet people at a, at a writer's conference. And, um, you know, we met that way and had this kind of long distance relationship for a couple of years. But, uh, you know, she had a boyfriend at the time and I think she was probably cheating on him. So maybe I was a bad boy there, but I just loved her so much. I just, I loved her like a lot and I wanted to be with her, but there was no way to really make that happen. You know, so, right. you know, we're never perfect. All relationships are, are flawed and we can always look back through a, through a lens and wish we had done better. Um, sure. but that was a very meaningful relationship for me. Uh, and to be able to have that in my early forties, you know, really meant the world to me because, uh, you know, when you, when you finally do die at the end of your life, you'd like to say you've had these meaningful experiences and, uh, you know, I had that. It happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, one, one thing that people love to point out, and and I think there, you know, you might even have somebody listening here going, so you were married for 10 years, you opened your relationship and oh, wow, wouldn't you know what? You got a divorce. Um, like they love to point at non-monogamy is the reason that you ended up getting a divorce. And I think just if, if you're able to speak to that a little bit, mm, like what, what role, what role do you feel non-monogamy played in your relationship, whether like we've, we've also talked to people who say like, well, yeah, we hadn't opened up. We'd have been divorced five years sooner. Like that's what kept us together for an extra five years. So yeah. I'm curious what your take is. Well, I think that. divorce was inevitable with us mm -hmm. because we just weren't matching on a very important level. Uh, but again, I think there's a lot of love in that relationship to this day. So, sure. um, you know, like I, I met two types of people when I was open, there were the people that were like, you know, married at, and, and it turned out to be at the end of their marriage and they were trying something to save it, which I'm sure you've encountered a lot of people with that model. And then people who were really in the lifestyle. And I kind of met both types of people. And, um, you know, I think we did hang on. I think it extended our marriage out by a couple of years because I didn't want to get my kids past a certain age a little bit. I didn't want to, you know, I think it would have been an utter tragedy to be divorced when my kids were like four and five and not seeing them every day. But when they're you know, I mean, now I've got a 14 year old and an almost 16 year old, and it's a completely different thing. They can text me on their phones or FaceTime me whenever they want. It's, it's a different kind of um, thing altogether. So it, it gave us a couple of extra years, but you know, we, we, we divorced without a lawyer, without a mediator. We just went down to the courthouse in Cambridge, Massachusetts together and um, told the judge we were going to do it this way. And here's how we're going to do it. And he said, well, since you get along so well, that's fine. We walked out, went home, threw a brisket in the oven, had a Passover Seder, and two days later, I moved out, and and that, wow. and that was that. Wow. So you know, we we I think we did it in a really interesting way, you know, and just sitting there at that last Passover Seder with you know my whole family around, and knowing two days later I'm I ended up moving in with my current wife like right away. There was no gap of time there. Um, you know, it, it it worked pretty well. I mean, you know, we all get along. I think next week we may be going to do some trivia, me and my wife, my ex-wife, and perhaps somebody that she's involved with. Um, mm -hmm. Though apparently he's not very good at trivia. So, 
<laughs> she needs to update her OK Cupid profile so she only gets people who are good at trivia. But I think she's, but, she's good enough that she could probably handle it. Like she's pretty good. She does all the crosswords and is good at that stuff. So you know, there you go. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. That like the way that you two approach that and the way that you have kept that friendship. Like right to think about going on a family trip, not only with your 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 ex wife. But your ex-wife's family, so that yeah. they're that they're welcoming and warm enough to what like the 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 transition that you went through with her in this relationship. I think it's really incredible. So mm-hmm. no, yeah. I think it's been a great gift. I mean, we've gone up to to visit my my in-laws for Passover and Thanksgiving with my wife, and a couple times with my stepdaughters, and they've been extremely welcoming. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm grateful that. You know, the divorce didn't mean the end of my relationship with my ex-in-laws. I mean, you only get, you know, like I have a father-in-law and a mother-in-law of sorts still. You know, I don't speak to them, you know, regularly, but we've seen them a couple times this year already in the past 12 months. You know, you you go for certain occasions. We were up there for Thanksgiving and it was pretty cool. So, you know, I I think that's a really healthy way to go about things. If you can divorce without lawyers and still stay friends, um, you know, I I take immense pride in that. Uh, So I don't see the the divorce ending uh, and you know the marriage ending as a failure at all i just see it as as a different way of 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 um having that relationship and i think the relationship's a lot more fruitful now than it was the last 5 years of the marriage yeah yeah when we were well, fighting, you have that- we were fighting a lot back then you know there was yeah. a lot of stresses going on we were under the same roof and she was sick of me and you know we had younger kids and and now we get along better yeah. Yeah. And now you have that perspective of like, okay, that last five years, like looking back, like we were surviving, but it, we weren't thriving together. Well, and, we we and knew now, it at the time. I mean, we yeah. knew it at the time and we just said, you know, we're going to, we're going to get through this and we'll get along better. And, and we did. And we do. Yeah. Just found a different way to do it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's awesome. I, I think there's a quote that I, I can't remember exactly where I pulled it from. It may have been from a previous interview, but um, it was basically like being in the relationship that that like comes naturally rather than trying to force a relationship that you want right that you have this ideal of like well we should be married and we should be living in the same house and it's like well hey like we work way better when we're not married and not living in the same house we're better friends we're better maybe better parents better better all around and it's so hard though to like break out of that like man but everyone expected us to be together forever because you know they all came to our wedding and we feel all this pressure to be something that doesn't even work for us but you found what did and you and you made it happen i like i really like that yeah it it is a bit of a frightening prospect to think that the person you're with is the last person you're ever going to be intimate with um you know so I, i may not be there right now for my wife to like have a relationship with somebody else and i may never get there but i'll you know we'll have the conversation as we go but I think I could be comfortable, you know, with her, you know, in a same room situation with somebody else, or they can even go in the other room, you know, but, uh, but, uh, what worries me more is the whole idea of like, you know, we're sitting there on the couch watching Anderson Cooper and she's texting this person for two hours every night. Like, cause there's, it's harder to be, um, it's easier to not be present th- these days with, uh, texting and all those sorts of things. So, uh, there is some risk there. So I'm trying to find ways where we can do this at a, at a minimal, minimal risk, but still have experiences. But again, yeah. we'll, we'll evaluate this as we go. And maybe, maybe it will make more sense a year from now or two years or who knows. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's uh, yeah a lot there. I think too, when you, when you got together with your, you said you moved out, you moved right in. What did then the conversations between you and your then girlfriend, now wife, like you're both open. You both show up to this new relationship, having been open, having been an okay Cupid. What, yeah. what was the trajectory there? Well, we closed that off after about five months. Um, cause I thought, okay, I need to go find another girlfriend. Like I was trying, still trying to meet other people. And, you know, so there was like feelings on both sides that were, and she was, she had somebody that she was seeing as well. Um, I mean, she said she had a boyfriend when I met her and then later on she said, Oh, it wasn't a boyfriend. And then she's like, no, it was a boyfriend. So whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, so she had this other person and, uh, you know, so I was still kind of trying to meet other people and, uh, that wasn't happy making for her at the time, but, uh, and, and it was, it could be chaotic when you're juggling multiple relationships. Cause there were very brief periods of time where I would be dating a couple of women. Like when I was married, I, there was a brief time about six weeks when I had two girlfriends and my wife, who, you know, it was like, it was a lot, a lot to keep track of. Because everybody's got needs and feelings, and uh, and uh, it was tough. It was tough. 
It was also, yeah, it can be complicated. It was also fun, though. I will say it was fun. <laughs> no regrets. Yeah, complicated but fun. Right? <laughs> yeah. When, um, you know, you mentioned that you closed up that relationship pretty quickly, but then it's slowly been part of your ongoing discussion. So um, where, I guess you kind of already answered this a little bit, but maybe you can touch on a little bit more. Where do you see the two of you going in the future? I don't know. It's hard, very it's very easy to predict the past, but it's really impossible to predict the future. I mean, I would hope that we'd be able to have a continue to have a healthy, respectful relationship uh, that that has room to evolve and where we have space to make mistakes as well. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, it's very hard for me to see beyond January right now because January is so awful. You know, uh, this is a tough year. You know, it's like yeah. we're going to our third year of, of this pandemic and it's getting yeah. hard again. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't really want to predict except to say that I hope that we're always good to each other uh, and mm-hmm. and respectful of, of each other's needs. I think my needs are a little, a little bit different, again, because of maybe my attachment style. But again, just because it is one way doesn't mean it's inevitable to stay that way. It's just a matter as to how one works their way through that. So Yeah. Right. Did you did you notice those um, challenges coming up? Attachment uh, challenges coming up for you with your ex wife, and when you when the two of you opened. Well, the interesting thing is, no, uh, I, I I think for that certainly for the first ten years, I felt very securely attached. You know, I felt very safe, but also not very like um, stimulated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there was less of a risky life. It was a very safe life, but I felt very, very safe there. So, you know, it, 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 that had really gone dormant in me, and I'd almost forgotten that I had that anxious attachment style. I mean, well, I didn't have words for it prior to that, but I was like, oh no, I haven't felt this way since I was in my twenties. You know, so that was a weird feeling to have these very intense feelings come back that, that that go all the way back to my childhood. And do you think a lot of that is just the the newness of the relationship, like you're—I I don't know how long you've been with your your. We met almost wife. six years ago now. Uh, in okay. in fact, next month it's six years since we've met. Okay, yeah, and I, I was going to ask almost the exact same question that Emma asked. Is like it's interesting that in the previous relationship there was not really those jealous or concerns about yeah the maybe she's up on uh, in the evening texting for a couple hours, and now in this new relationship or newer relationship. That is there. I think it's just really interesting. And I, I can almost draw a parallel to something that we're going through, which is similar, which is, you know, in our relationship, I've never felt jealousy or concern about Emma really texting other people or anything like that. But having a newer partner, those feelings, like when I project and like sit and think about it, if I can like even just think about that happening, I feel that like those twinges of like, oh, that's, that's something that's there that's not there with with Emma, which is just a really interesting dynamic to to, to just even think about. Oh, it's amazing to understand how complex we are all psychologically, and what <laughs> triggers us psychologically. Like I, I could, I could, I could look at a very specific trigger. I think that caused this anxious attachment style in me. Uh, you know, my parents divorced when I was five. And I was a latchkey kid without a key. So I'd get into the, the apartment building, but I couldn't get into the apartment. I'd come home and I'd knock on the door and I'd buzz the buzzer and I'd yell through the mail slot and I'd kick on the door. And my mom wouldn't be home. And this happened a lot. I was like a six-year-old child. And I really think that was that whole sense of like being abandoned, you know, And because mm-hmm. those feelings have carried through to, to where I am now in my life. You know, I'd mm-hmm. wander across the street. I lived across from a shopping mall and sit in the bookstore. Um which may have to do with why I've got a love for books today. But I think those moments at the age of five and six, that is a lot of the time when your attachment style is really kind of firming up. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I really can look at those moments. I don't know if it was three times or 10 times or 20 times, but it feels like it happened a lot. Um, Showing up up at home as a very small child and not having my mother be there. And, And there was a disbelief. Like, because I didn't just knock once. I would knock, and I would knock, and I would kick, and I would scream, and I would yell through the mailbox. Because there was there was a psychological disbelief that that she wasn't there. I could not get my head around it. So clearly, that was something that really dug deep grooves in me psychologically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes it takes. You know, it's interesting how different life experiences, different other other pe- people, and also age, like, will bring out those those experiences again or highlight those experiences again. And sometimes you can't necessarily put your finger on this is what happened and it caused this, but it just 
just happens from those memories get brought up or those feelings get brought up in different ways for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was intense to realize that, you know, my mother passed away about 12 years ago and she was a very challenging person. Um, you know, when I saw the last the previous president kind of operating on, on the world stage as this kind of mega narcissist, I saw certain aspects of that in my mother and it was really kind of frightening. It was like to see that these kind of connections, the similarities, not, not as bad, not in a malignant way, but certainly in a, in a way that, that really fucks you up as a kid for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine. And, and I think too, like you said, like it's interesting that it, it's, poking up here in this new relationship, but maybe not as much in the previous one. And I think it's just interesting. And so thank you for talking about that a little bit. And I think too, like the having that ongoing conversation with your wife too, right. About like, Hey, you said like, maybe she's a little more willing or interested in like going forward and maybe meeting some other partners for maybe more of like a, a dating romantic side. And you're sort of like, well, Hey, let's meet let's meet here right now. Like, let's maybe do it together. And maybe we build to that, which again is interesting because you were there, you did that. You had two girlfriends and a wife and you, you've done the dating and now you're, it's not, I don't think it's a regression, but it's just a, a new approach. No, I think there could be a really good model for this. If we were to meet a couple that we really liked and mm-hmm. we got together with them every month or so, I mean, that, that kind of thing, I think could work really nicely. Um, you sure. know, something like that where we do have it, you know, together and then we could have it separately you know within the little meetings and stuff like that but uh you know um again it's it's been it's been challenging you know um during covid for sure and uh you know again i feel like there were some opportunities to like do some things early on like to some parties that we were going to go to and then one or the other of us got cold feet and it didn't, it didn't end up going to that either so you know we, we've we've tiptoed our way and you know i think we're ready to take a bigger stride i think if we could just find the right opportunity Sure. Yeah, you'll get there. Sure. <laughs> if yeah. you want to, if you both want to. <laughs> I think it would be fun to try for sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's yeah. some risk, but I think risk is what makes it uh, so gratifying, I think. Right. For sure. How how have you seen yourself? I know we've talked a little bit about, you know, the anxious attachment and, and those challenges, but how how have you seen yourself grow since you started down the non-monogamy path in the first place? How have I seen myself grow? Um, I don't know. I, I guess like a, a greater sense of gratitude because each of these relationships uh, are things that, because again, once I was married, there was that assumption that I was never going to be with anybody else. Then, then realizing that I got to be with all of these people, I'm very grateful that I got to have these experiences, meet these people, go to these places, you know, because living in Boston in, in my forties, like I don't really have like male friends. I don't really have people to hang out with. So you know, to go out with somebody and go swimming at Walden Pond or to go here, to go there, I suddenly had like new people to go places with, which was kind of cool as well. So I guess just kind of gratitude to have those experiences and and to realize that there's all kinds of like really interesting people out there that you can connect with. Yeah. Well, and and maybe another, (laughs) another thing to kind of touch on is you, you said like, Hey, you know, I'm a married man in my forties with two kids and like that's a that's a tough sale sometimes on the dating sites, the dating apps. But you've also said like, hey, I had two girlfriends and a wife and multiple other partners along the way. Like, how? Like, I guess how did you make that happen? How did you overcome that? Like, hey, I'm I'm the married father of two who's also dating, which is a really yeah. unique thing to pop up on an app. But it sounds like you've worked with that and made it an advantage rather than a, a hurdle. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was difficult. I mean, as, as you know, like, you know, like my, you know, a good example would be like my, my, um, my wife, you know, when she wasn't my wife, she would go on OkCupid on a Saturday morning and there'd be like 30 or 40 direct messages. You know, I probably uh, would get one or two people reaching out to me a month, if that, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, so I would always have to do the reaching out and there was no space to be anything other than perfect in my, in what I wrote to them. And as a writer, I think I had an advantage there for sure, because I think a lot of people don't know how to treat people properly on apps. So the fact that I was respectful and used proper grammar um, probably helped a lot. Uh, yep. I think I'm not bad looking. I think uh, that helped as well. Um and just, uh, you know, just being open to, you know, whatever was was on offer there, I guess. And I was pretty determined. 
I felt a real need for this. At a certain point, I felt a need to connect with other other people. So um, it was a priority. Yeah. 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 And I think too, like, you know, we, we get that sort of that exact question a lot. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm on the apps and my wife's on the apps and her, her thing is like maxed out. She like, she can't accept any more messages cause like she's broken it and I can't get a single damn message. But I think the sort of the advice we often give people is like, it's a numbers game. It's, it's endurance, tenacity. You just kind of have to keep kind of keep plugging away at it and you try something, you try it a little different the next time. Like you said, write full sentences and take interest in what they're interested in. And like, it, but it's, it is a lot of just doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. My, my sense was, and maybe I'm wrong, that a lot of people on the apps are just kind of assholes that don't know how to behave. So again, I think there's such a breath of fresh air uh, that, that women will feel when you write to them and it's like, oh my God, they're not talking about their dick or they're not like, insulting me or nagging me or anything like that and uh you know i think that that was a big help for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, it's sad that the bar is that low <laughs> it, 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 it is that low it is it's definitely that low from what i've heard from all the people i've spoken to for sure. right yeah well he reached out and it wasn't a dick pic so we went to dinner like right. really that's all i had to do <laughs> yeah. no i mean it was but again uh, as a writer like this is a fun way to kind of write, you know, because there's a playfulness to it. There's, there's a potential interlocutor at the other side of what you're writing and you need to do it really well in order to get somebody's attention, especially when you know, somebody's inbox is full. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I was right. fully aware of that. It's like, this is going to be tough, but there was, you know, I had people write back to me that I, 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 I thought, wow, they're probably not going to write back. And they did, you know, like there was a mm-hmm. woman dressed in a, uh, Imperial stormtroopers outfit with bondage tape, and and it was like, oh my god, so hot. And she wrote back to me, and we actually went out three or four times. She was like deep, deep, deep in in the scene. She had a husband and a boyfriend, and and uh, you know we were having discussions about bringing me on as like a third person. But then she'd gone to some like um, you know in some other state, she'd gone to some kind of like uh, I don't know picnic or barbecue thing, and she met somebody else there, and she said, oh, I met somebody. And I said, well, would you, would you like me to step aside? And she said, well, clearly you don't, under, don't understand my, my, my viewpoint and how I feel about this. I don't think we should pursue the romance anymore. And I was like, that was weird. I, was, I thought I was being, I don't know what I thought I was being, but clearly, you know, so we, we didn't pursue it beyond that. Um, so, you know, I guess. That's an I, interesting, that's yeah. an interesting, weird, that's a yeah. strange. Reaction? Well, yeah. She'd already yeah. decided that she wanted to be with this other person as a third person that didn't want to hurt my feelings and maybe kind of put it back on me Um, because we had really laid the groundwork. We spent a lot of time texting, a lot of time talking on the phone, uh, talking about what sex would be like. We did it. I swear to God, her and her husband even sent me a spreadsheet with all the things I would do, wouldn't do, um, you know, what my level of interest was. I I filled out the spreadsheet. Then she wrote back. She said, Oh, my husband thinks you're hilarious. He, He loves your answers. So like I was being vetted pretty seriously there. You know, we, we, we'd met once, um, at a BDSM picnic, uh, we went out for a walk and we we're sitting on the, um, on the grass together. And I said, my, can I put my hand on your leg? And she said, no. And I said, that's fine. And then later on, she said, you passed the test. You respect my boundaries. And so we were really, there was a lot of work being done on both our sides. there, kind of gauging each other. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, this kind of quick shift to like, I met somebody else. I'm like, well, that's okay. Do you want to be with them? And then her being like, Hey, we should, maybe we should just call this off was, surprising for me so um you know i I did my best but again um i wouldn't call it unsuccessful we ran out a few times and you know it's not often when you're a married man in your 40s when you have two women in the same day tell you that they've been masturbating to you that day because that happened two different times with two different pairs of women i was like so i was like okay she masturbated to me that's good that's i can put that on my resume you know like (laughs) like, we, we we talked about sex we talked about relationships we talked about ourselves and we both probably masturbated to each other. So that's like not worth sex, but maybe one quarter of the way to sex if you both do it. I, th- I think that's pretty vulnerable to admit. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think that's really awesome. Like, and it's just, it's so interesting. And you keep saying like, hey, that wasn't a failed relationship. Like we just kind of came to a place where like it didn't make sense anymore. And could the disbound have been maybe a little smoother or kinder? 
Sure. But yeah, like, the it, fact it, that you come out been. of it, uh, she yeah. wasn't great, but I wasn't great either. You know, uh, some, I was texting one of my friends and she's like, Oh, you should say goodbye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. So I was like, what does that mean? So I looked it up and I, then I wrote bye, Felicia to her. And then she's like, who's Felicia? And then that was the end of it. So if you could look that up. <laughs> you know. So I didn't know what, what that meant at the time. You know, I had one of my millennial friends tell me to say that. So yeah, I wasn't perfect by any means, but, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't a total dick either, you know, <laughs> learning experiences. Right? It was. Right? And, and frankly, like, I don't know, like that would have been a tough to handle. She had a husband and a boyfriend. And like, I think, I actually think psychologically, I would always have been okay with people who are already present. Mm-hmm. For example, one of the women I, I was seeing, she had two, two other partners and I was totally okay. She's like, Saturday night, I fucked this person. Sunday, I fucked them. But then she broke up with them, and and when she wanted to see other new people, suddenly that felt bad. Isn't that weird? You know, it's like, I'm okay with you fucking the people you already knew, but fucking new people makes me feel weird. So clearly there's a way to kind of train yourself psychologically to figure out that you can be maybe comfortable with more things than you otherwise would be. Right. And not the first time we've heard that. No. Very interesting. Like, yeah, I was okay. Like, I came into this relationship, and I knew they had a – a husband or a wife or a partner. Well, because you're kind of signing on for what you know. Right. It's, it's the unknown that can be that yeah. can be triggering. So even if you know they're open to it, right? Yeah. To be like, well, hey, now there's this new person and it's like, it's different. I think it's different when you're the one who's coming into an established dynamic versus somebody's coming into your established dynamic. And it's yeah, just no, different- it was really interesting to learn that. Again, one of the things that being open did was it let me learn so much about myself and, and other people, you know, because other people, you know, you walk by a beautiful woman on the street and that's it. You walk by the beautiful woman on the street that you're, that you met on OK Cupid that you're now sleeping with, you get to see their vulnerabilities. And it's an amazing thing to realize, like, cause there was a woman I went out with for five months, the one that broke up with me just before I met my current wife. And she worked like right around the corner from where I work. Like it was a 60 second walk. And we probably walked past each other back then. And then suddenly realizing that you, the curtain's been pulled back and you're in her bedroom and you get to, you know, be with her sexually, but also learn about her. It's, it's an amazing thing, you know, again, as a, as a writer to kind of like know these other characters that were, that were characters that hadn't revealed themselves before. Now they're dimensional characters to you. So it was Mm -hmm. really amazing to kind of meet people and get to know them. Uh, Because I think you can, when you're intimate with people, you get to know them on a higher level than or at least certainly quicker than 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 non-intimate friendships, where it may take a lot longer to get to that level of intimacy, if ever. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a super valid point. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you there's just some level of curiosity about who who is this person, this this random stranger. You've got a couple of pictures online and maybe a paragraph about him. But you know there's a whole lot more than that. Like, like you can never completely sum yourself up in your online profile or in a in something that brief so Mm -hmm. there's definitely an intimacy there and a vulnerability yep for sure yeah for sure how open are you about your non-monogamy journey with other people in your life well i don't like wave a flag but on the other hand i talk about it you know with people pretty openly like I, i i don't it's not a secret but it's also something i don't want to necessarily like i don't want that to identify me because it was just it was something that i explored an experience, but you know, I'm, I, I don't think I've talked to my children about it, but I think they know something was going on because you don't just move in with a woman two days after you move out. They must've known something, but uh, you know, I, I'm pretty open. I've talked to lots of people about, about, about it. Um, but it's not my, I'm not trying to be like a, you know, a missionary to try and promote this as a lifestyle. Uh, you know, it, it was just a really interesting thing. And I think it works better for different people, but I think it's, it's, it's an, it's an amazing kind of thing that this is becoming more and more acceptable. You know, when I, when I sat down to write my novel, I am my beloveds, I very much had in mind one of my favorite novels by Isaac Bashiva Singer, who was an American writer who wrote in Yiddish uh, and won the Nobel prize. He wrote a really great novel called uh, enemies, a love story. And it was set in New York, uh, pretty much a, a Yiddish based New York after the Holocaust. And everybody was a Holocaust survivor. And he ended up having three different relationships. It was his wife, then his dead wife wasn't dead. She'd come back from Europe. And then then the woman he was going to marry. And it was just all these sorts of things. Uh, and in many ways, it almost felt like um, an infidelity kind of novel. And I thought, well, to update something like this for our generation, uh, I think the infidelity novel is, is, is past. And now we're talking about the open marriage or the open relationship model. 
So it was really kind of updated. A previous generation, it would have been about cheating, perhaps, but it's which is a completely different thing. But to have the complexities of multiple romantic connections in your life and all of the joys and uh, chaos slash plot points, it can it can lead to. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. well, maybe that's a good transition to just talk about your book for a few minutes of of what your um, what you did write about, what your novel's about. Sure. Well, it's called "I Am My Beloveds." Uh, with no apostrophe. Uh, I Am My Beloveds is something that comes from, I think, the Song of Songs. And you'll often see that on like Jewish marriage certificates or sometimes uh, engraved on the inside of a wedding ring. Uh, I'm not going to say it in, in Hebrew because I'll mess it up. But um, there would be the apostrophe, I Am My Beloved, apostrophe S. And for my book, uh, I did it, I Am My Beloveds, with no apostrophe, which again, the main character, his name is Ben Seidel. And again, he has this very kind of anxious attachment style so he he has his wife and he ends up meeting another woman that he falls in love with. And really, by him being his beloved, he's very much identified with them. Like his fate is tied to them. His psychological fate is tied to them. But uh, it starts after the, um, the main character's wife ends up uh, asking to go open and then immediately has a girlfriend. And he spends about a year in the wilderness, you know, really, really struggling the way that we kind of briefly talked about how it can be difficult for a man on the apps to kind of uh, find their way. And, uh, but she, you know, she helps him out. She's like, let me look at your Tinder prof- profile. Let's fix that up. Let's do this. Let's do that. So there, there's a lot of support there, but he does feel a little bit abandoned because, you know, she admits later, she's like, yeah, maybe I was a little selfish because I wanted to take this thing that was here for me. But, you know, I also want you to be happy. And ultimately he meets somebody and then he falls in love with her and he's kind of juggling both of these, uh, relationships. Uh, in the meantime, um, his wife is unable to get pregnant. So they come up with this kind of scheme as to how to do a surrogacy sort of situation. And it it becomes rather complex, but um, you know, I think what I am most proud of in this book is that the characters are very dimensional. Um, You know, the three primary female characters are, are real complex human beings. Um, You know, I think a a lot of the time when people write about kind of polyamory or things like that, maybe you'll see it in like a, a science fiction format or maybe almost as thinly veiled porn. Uh, there is some hot sex in the book and uh, other dirty stuff uh, that you need to read. Um, but uh, I, I, that was never, it was always a book about human beings, you know, and, and uh, what they need and what motivates them and things like that. So it was, it was a helpful journey. I mean, it, it's, I'd say it's like almost 100% fiction, but yet it's also 100% drawn from where I was kind of psychologically. Like very few of the things in this book actually happened in my life. Because the job of a fiction writer, when they say write what you know, they don't mean transcribe exactly what you've done, but kind of take that kind of psychological space and kind of put it into those. Um, so I, I feel immensely proud of it. comes out at the beginning of March, and I'm hoping a lot of people read it. But uh, you know how difficult it is these days. There's so many things vying for our attention. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I don't read a book before bed. I jump on Netflix and watch the latest series I've been wanting to watch. So, you know, it's going to take some work to find some readers for this. But I think it's a book that people will enjoy. Uh, they're, they're characters that are warts and all. They're not like there to be like model human beings. So they're, they're challenging people, just like we all are. Um, and I hope people fall in love with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that uh, overview. And we will put links to, your, to buy your book in the show notes as well. So people yeah, people are more than welcome there. to pre-order it or order it afterwards. And uh, mm-hmm. if anyone ever wants to do it for a book group, I love talking to people, as you can see. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd be happy to like, you know, talk to a book group or, or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I think I, I do appreciate that. And I think it's a book that, that people will like. But, it, but it's not a guide. It's not a guidebook to be like, how will I show my non-poly people how this works because that wasn't the goal of the book. The goal was to show human beings going through a certain kind of relationship model. So if you wanted to show that to, you know, your parents are having trouble understanding the lifestyle. It's not going to be helpful in that way necessarily. That's not, and that was never the purpose. I, I, I always right. write about human beings and their desire first. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the real ambition of the book comes out through wherever the characters take me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I too, I love that you said like, you know, the characters are flawed and they're, they're, you think you said warts and all. Right. And I think that it's probably tempting as an author to be like, to create these amazing 
uh, perfect bot humans, right? You can, cause you can create any character you want, but I think having lived the experience you did of being out on the apps and seeing, mm-hmm. seeing who are all the hundreds of people you've looked through and what, what this actually looks like in real life versus like what people, f- you know, fantasize or fictionalize it in their, their brains of like, it's, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people who are like, well, I didn't want to go to the sex party because I figured it was just going to be all these beautiful people who are perfect in every way. And like you go to a party or you go to a club and it's like the gamut from every, every end of the spectrum. Well, that's, that's the amazing thing that you see that people of all types and ages and body types mm-hmm. are really comfortable. And I really admire that because again, I was a pretty shy kid growing up and uh, you know, it's just amazing to see people just being comfortable uh, as they are. And that comfort is, can be sexy in its own right, you know, being comfortable in your own skin. One thing I do want to say about the book still, I've got, I've got a friend who's published uh, a number of books and she went to Yale and has a law degree and speaks five languages. So she's smart. And and she'd also been like open and and did all kinds of like kink stuff. And she said, you know, the Shira's girlfriend, the, uh, the other character in the book, is she based on somebody? And I said, no, she's, she's a hundred percent, you know, created from my imagination. And the fact that this person, you know, thought that, that this could have been based on a real person really says that I've done my job in creating a dimensional character because you sit down as a writer, as a God in miniature, and you look at your blank screen and you say, let there be, and you make it happen. But it takes years, draft after draft after draft to make them dimensional. You can't just breathe air into them and they exist. You know, it takes a lot of work to make them exist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that work and for creating the book for and and coming on and sharing a little bit about your story and your history. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet today that you wanted to make sure that you got out there in the world before we let you go? And well, I wanted to get evening? through this podcast without saying anything stupid uh, that I'd regret. I don't think I've done it yet. So if you wanted to, to ask me any more, que- a couple more questions to see if I I can <laughs> expose. Well, myself. I mean. Uh, uh- the blooper question. Yeah, we can throw a blooper question at you. If you've got a funny story, it doesn't have to be sexual, but just a, a, a blooper that's happened along the way as you've been navigating this. Those are always fun to hear about. But Oh, I had, I had you know, a bunch, but one really small one. And this did end up in the novel. Um, I went out on a second date with this woman and she was talking about how she was into CBT. And are you into CBT? I'm like, yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy is awesome, right? <laughs> but she meant cock and ball torture. And I was like, that I'm not into. That I'm not into. And she wasn't the first person. There was a, a, no, a number of women who were interested in that, uh, you know, wanted to like tie it up and put it in this little box. I'm like, you know, that doesn't appeal to me. Uh, it was a new, the whole concept was new to me. So, you know, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not into that. But cognitive behavioral therapy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a, a shout out to that for sure. So it's interesting because there's a lot of lingo. You, you, you get out there, right? And again, especially being like a forty-something year old man who's, who's been, you know, in a closed marriage and you know wasn't that experimental in his teen years and twenty years, twenties, uh, and suddenly having like, you know, to read all these acronyms and know what they all stand for. And I think I got yeah. pretty good at it. You know, yeah. it's interesting how you start to roll with things and, and your new reality is like, yep, that's that's cool. That's what it is. doesn't work mm-hmm. for me, but, you know, I can engage with that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's actually, a, uh, I was going to ask you a follow-up question because you'd said, you know, in your teens and 20s, it, like life was fairly secure, but it was also like you didn't even know what it was to like want a specific thing or yeah. or explore that. And um, I'll tell you one thing. I knew I liked women in leather. I did know that. I mean, leather. Nice, yeah. awesome. I did know that. But uh, yeah. now I'm very, like, I was in uh, Toronto a few months ago with uh, my friends and it was November. And I, I said, could we go somewhere where we could see women in leather? <laughs> and so we went to this one street and where there's like lots of nightclubs. I swear to God, we saw 45 women wearing leather pants in like two hours. And I was just very much enjoying looking at that. I because like you could go months in Boston without seeing somebody in leather pants, so it was just very thrilling. I was like, "This is a really great thing." So you know, <laughs> I didn't get awesome. just by seeing it. I don't even have to do anything. Just yeah. seeing the thing, you know, right? So, um, yeah, that happened. So I need when I go back to Toronto. Of course, if it's summer, there won't be leather. But uh, that was a right. Great, that was a great moment in my life, and it might even end up on my tombstone. Went to Toronto, <laughs> saw forty-five women wearing leather in one night. Was really happy. <laughs> it was an amazing thing. It was it was really yeah. fun. 
Well, that you answered my question because I was going to say, like, did you feel now over the last many years where you've explored more that you actually have that sense of things that you want and things you like that you didn't in your 20s? Yes, but I still think there's more of a ways to go. I still think there's something blocking me. Like we've we've tried some pretty intense stuff. Like we've done like pegging and and anal and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, you know some you know BDSM stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff. And uh, again, once you kind of get calmed down into the the calmness of your marriage, it's easy to kind of slip back into vanilla stuff. So you have to kind of carve out time for these desires and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. again, that's something we kind of want to get back to a little bit, be a little bit more mindful of like setting aside an evening for it, not just like 20 minutes uh, between Anderson Cooper and whoever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, perhaps, perhaps CBT is the key to unlocking it all. (laughs) Well, certainly one form of CBT is working for me. Uh, We'll see about the other, about the other kind for sure. I tell you what, that's, that's one I'm just, I was just imagining this scenario where like, the girl, the woman's got you like tied down and blindfolded and is like, so are you into CBT? And you're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden it gets real painful real quick. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think we've, I think we miscommunicated. Well, I, I would say the nice thing I've learned is that people that are kind of, you know, into some more intense stuff are, ex- have been extremely respectful of like following all the boundaries. I mean, I've never seen people more by the book uh, yeah. than mm-hmm. in that scene. And I think that's an amazing thing, which should make anybody, uh, who's been hesitant about dipping their toe into the water to know that if you find the right person, and there's many right people out there that really take Mm -hmm. this seriously, that, that you will be taken care of and that it's not pain for pain's sake. It's pain for pleasure's sake. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, and I was not intending to disparage anybody in the BDSM or kink community that that would do that. I was just, I I I don't think you were, I'm just, just trying to kind of uh, clarify a little bit more. Another thing that I kind of have taken out of this experience that I've seen Mm -hmm. pretty much across the board. Yeah, for sure. I think, and we've heard that all the time is like consent. Like if you like consent reigns king, queen, whatever in the the BDSM sphere, like above all else. And so, yeah, it's really good to hear that your experience has been that, that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? Or do no, you have any other I mean, questions? You just know if I keep talking, eventually I'll say something that gets me in trouble. So we could stop. We could stop. <laughs> but, you know, as I as I mentioned before the podcast started, that uh, my superpower is talking and I love to talk. So, you know, I, as long as you want to talk, I would do it. But uh, I think we've, you know, we've covered a lot a lot of ground here. Uh, and I really, yeah. I've really enjoyed speaking with you both. Uh, and I hope that people kind of seek out my novel, I, My Beloveds, and check it out. And if you read it, don't hesitate to shoot me an email. I always love to hear from my readers. This is my fifth book. Um, I guess I could talk about this. It's my fifth book, but it's the first time I've really talked about something uh, relationship-based. A lot of my other books are very dark, very violent. This book is not dark and nobody dies. There's no body count except for the bodies on the beds. So uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a real change of pace for me, and I'm currently um, writing a sequel for it. So hopefully that will be done at some point. And we'll see if it ever gets picked up by somebody who wants to turn it into a streaming series, because that's something my agent is looking into. I think that would be awesome. Uh, I've already got people picked out that I think would be really good for it in a fantasy world, of course. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would um, love to hear from anybody who, who wants to reach out. I'm always happy to interact with people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, your th- contact information will be in the show notes. Oh, there you Indeed. Go. And, and thank you again for reaching out. John and for coming on and for sharing everything for doing the work and for being here we appreciate it yeah my pleasure thank you so much and we're back whoa stealing my line I had to I stole your line at the end of the intro <laughs> and you wait till the end of this one no nope. outro I'm taking your I'm taking your <laughs> sign off line too anyway are you gonna keep talking or should I no this is your turn now. <laughs> The, the way it works is you now talk for the next minute and a half, and then I say, bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. <laughs> I talk in the outro, too. Anyway, we'll stop rambling here. Thank you, John, for coming on the show and sharing your story and for the work you do, too, and the books that you've written. We had an amazing time talking to you and really appreciate uh, you sharing. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, John. We greatly appreciate it, and we're excited to get your book out there and hope everybody 
is loving it. A quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You can find podcast show notes there where you'll find links to John's book. But you'll also find information on our Patreon community, our upcoming virtual events and in-person events, our favorite resources, and the ability to contact us. Send us a voicemail, send us an email. It's all right there. We'd love to hear from you. And I think that's it. Next week, we have an interview with Layla, who is amazing. And we're super excited. We actually did an interview on her podcast as well. Yeah, her podcast is called The Curious Girl Diaries. And it sort of chronicles her journey coming out of a three and a half year dry spell. Yeah. And what, what she's done with that. And so we go on there and talk about our story, but we have her on to share hers. And it's a great conversation. And we're super excited about that. So come back next week and listen, and we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. No, you can't keep doing it. I have to do the last one. <laughs>